Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 121. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern-age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping, backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? 
Announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> Get headquartered. A timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. I just turned in my book about Pac-Man, and I have no news about the Warren Kramer book, or the TTV scrapbook, or the Disney book. I'm still working on my Mad Book, the Kool-Aid Man article, as well as articles about the Richie Rich comic strip and Charlton Comics. On today's show, we feature a singer who's had such hits as Young Girl, Woman Woman, and Lady Willpower with his group The Union Gap. Here they are, the returning Charles Rosenay, who has brought his very special guest, Gary Puckett. All right, hi, this is Mark Arnold at the Fun Ideas Podcast, and with me to my left, I have, or to my right, no, it is to my left, is uh, Charles Rosenay, and he always brings me great guests, as I say many times before, and today he's brought Gary Puckett. Hey, how are you, Gary? I am well, thank you. How are you today? Thank you for being here with us today. I mean... Uh, we'll probably both be uh, giving you questions and everything and you know, just general chit-chat about your career. And if you want to talk about anything else, that's fine, too. You know, if you want to talk about your deck or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I guess the, the first question, you know, that I kind of just ask everyone is just tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the music industry. Oh, wow. Well. Uh... <laughs> Shorthand version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, uh, by the time I was about six years, six and a half, whatever, I lived in a place called Yakima, Washington. And my parents were both music, they're, they're both musicians. They were, neither are with us anymore, but, um, they were both musicians. She was a very accomplished pianist and he was uh, quite an accomplished sax player. And they played in a big band in the early uh, big band era days. Um, well, probably in the midst of it, I should say. I was born in 42, so uh, you know my age now. And um, they, uh, I was on the leading edge of the baby boom generation. So uh, they, they being musicians and loving music, they wanted all of their children to not necessarily follow in their footsteps, but to have an understanding of music. It would, it would always be in their lives and they wanted it to always be in ours, you know? So uh, I was the first child and they sat me down at the keyboards. <laughs> they said, you're going to learn to play this piano, you know, but I was like, I was like any other, um, you know, six year old kid. I'd rather be out chasing garter snakes and, you know, <laughs> doing what six-year-old boys do but there was enough of it for several years that it kind of um put me in a musical mode plus they were both great singers um i was fortunate to inherit the qualities of their voices and um uh it was just it, it was an evolutionary process as i was eight nine ten eleven right in there um, my parents were both in the, the barbershop quartet thing. You know, my dad was in quartets and he was in two. One was called the Four Quarters. One was called the Four Dads. Um, they, they just, they were great. 
they were mm -hmm. terrific. They sang these great harmonies. And uh, um, I remember one time going to a, uh, a competition, you know, where they actually judged um, the quartets and all that. And, and um, it was really quite exciting for me because sitting in the audience, um, you know, I, I, was, I was excited to watch my dad and his quartet go out on stage and sing for the judges, but also it was exciting just to, to hear music break out in the audience, you know, there'd be quartet singer. So anyway, I, I kind of gravitated toward um, music in that regard because, because it, was, it, it was music, you know, it was voices, it was, it was harmonies, it was beautiful, you know, and uh, when I got to the Beatles days, you know, I could hark back, you know, to the <laughs> harmonies and things and uh so anyway um that's what sort of started it though i didn't really know it mm -hmm. um it was just a part of daily life to me mm -hmm. uh, when i be when i was 15 i found a guitar in my uh grandparents attic an old spanish guitar that had five strings on it mm -hmm. um and by that time you know i had become very aware of the rock scene elvis presley um Gene Vincent, Little Richard, uh, Fats Domino, the Everly Brothers, the like, you know, coasters, platters, the, you know, the whole rock scene, the cat with the crazy curl, uh, you know, one, two, three, clack, four, clack, clack. And I remember seeing a movie called uh, Blackboard Jungle. And, um, so, you know, I was a typical kid, though. I, you know, I rode my bicycle and, and did what typical kids would do um but at that point finding that guitar i think that i was somewhat struck with the whole thing and and having really really embraced elvis and uh you know the other rock stars of the day eddie cochran um you know uh, i just thought wow this is something i want to do <laughs> you know i want to do this i want to play this guitar and and um I had kind of strayed from my piano lessons, uh, as all children will do, but I sort of kept up a certain, I still use the piano today to write that kind of thing, but I'm not really a great player as such. But anyway, I just decided this is something I'm going to do. And my parents want me, of course, to be going to higher education, uh, you know, to, uh, they wanted me to succeed beyond but they succeeded. I think they did well. I have two brothers, two sisters, you know, over, over a span of um, nearly 18 years. So, um, you know, we were a, a good sized family. My dad worked hard. Um, he provided well. We were just, a, I don't even know if you'd want to say upper middle class, maybe. <laughs> Um, he was always well-dressed, uh, you know, we were not lacking for anything. Um, uh, so that was kind of it. By the time I was out of high school, um, my dad had been offered a job. He was in merchandising and worked for the, uh, the Allied Merchandising Corporation, uh, which took him around to uh, different different cities we started in uh, or was it watertown south dakota when i was two years old and then they moved him to yakima valley and he started working for the bon marche and then we went to 
Tacoma and he worked for a C.C. Anderson's and back to the Bon Marche. And then, you know, so then he he was offered an independent department store in Southern California. And we went there and I thought, oh, yay, bravo. Um, I'll be close to L.A. and close to that whole thing that's so romantic and, you know, whatever to me. But uh, anyway, that's kind of the long and the short of it. That's something about me. I, you know, Maybe I'm going on too long here. Yeah, Gary, what's interesting is that um, with your folks being uh, barbershop quartet, big <laughs> harmony people, you didn't go uh, doo-wop, you went rock and roll. You went Elvis, Gene Pitney, I mean, I mean um, uh, Gene Vincent. You went for the harder stuff. Well, I did. Uh, somehow it just excited me, you know. Um, since my baby left me, I found new places well. I just thought that that stuff was so cool, you know, and mm -hmm. listen, one, two, three o'clock, four o'clock rock, um, you know, uh, a woman love, <laughs> a woman love, you know, I, there was something that drew me to that. Now, I did like the doo-wop, but I grew up on the West Coast, so doo-wop wasn't as prominent there That's you know true. and though i i loved the diamonds i loved uh the high lows uh they weren't really doo-wop but um you know there were other groups uh what was uh, one of earth angel uh you know other records that that made it you know to the west coast but mostly i was a west coast guy and rock and roll more captured my heart you know than did doo-wop though these years later, I've learned to love doo-wop. In fact, Johnny Maestro became a good friend of mine later in his life, and we were able to do some singing together. And, um, you know, so I gained through people like him and others uh, uh, an appreciation and a love of doo-wop, you know? It's funny you mentioned Johnny Maestro. Mark, I used to say when I was growing up, take out the Beatles, take out monkeys, you know, take out my favorite favorites, three favorite vocalists of all time. Or Jay Black, Johnny Maestro, and this guy right here. Wow. His <laughs> best voice is most distinct and just yeah. uh, amazing. Now, um, you you eventually formed a band, but I, you know, forgive me, I don't know all the chronology. I mean, I'm looking up a lot of the notes here because I just basically know your songs, you know, so... Um, you were in a group called The Outcasts, and then The Remarkables, and then, of course, The Union Gap. So are all these the same group with different names, or were they different people over time? What, explain no, the evolution the, there. The Remarkables were The Union Gap to okay. begin with. It was a working title. The Outcasts were a trio. Um, two guys I worked with, Bob Brown on bass guitar and vocals, and Tommy Kendall on drums and vocals, and we were very good as a trio, you know, we kind of preceded um, Cream, you know, what I mean? <laughs> we kind of preceded the, uh, the, the trio kind of thing. And we were quite good at it somehow. We played all the music of the, the middle 60s in clubs and things, you know, and um, uh, I don't know what to say about that. I was in a group prior to that. I mean, when I was 15, I got into a band called the Redcoats that was in high school, you know, and, and it, we wore red coats. <laughs> I was going to say, did you wear red coats like you wore the Union, Union Army <laughs> garb <No>. later on? <laughs> so uh, then I got into a great big group called Ravens, 
mm-hmm. uh, which was like 12 pieces. We had a horn section, four guys. We had the rhythm section. We had four singers. And we all made about five bucks a night, you know, because <laughs> you get 12 people working in a nightclub. And, and so the Ravens got pared down into a four-piece, five-piece, you know. And, and um, you know, so things just evolved from there. Uh, one of the guys that had stayed with me from the um, from well, how did we do this? Uh, gosh, now you got me thinking about it, and uh, it's funny how some of that stuff gets a little bit fuzzy in your memories, you know. But uh, anyway, Dwight B. Met and I had worked together prior to all of that, but um, yeah. So the, the the Remarkables were the band that was to become the Union Gap. Mm-hmm. Now, during all this time, were you playing guitar? Because, I mean, later appearances, it seems like you just sang, at least on stage. I don't know about live, but, I mean, when I see Ed Sullivan clips, it just shows you belting it out, and everybody else is playing. So did you play guitar with the band or in those earlier bands, or what were you doing? Yeah, no, I was the guitarist in all those okay. earlier bands. Okay. Um, fortunately, I was a good enough player to be able to play. Um, so I didn't hire, you know, another guitarist, but, but, um, and then I always saw myself as this great guitarist, which I, I never was, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, I can play fairly well today and, um, you know, uh, I'm the guitarist in the union gap as it were, you know? So, uh, yeah, I played guitar and a lot of people will, will say to me today, yeah, um, I didn't even know you played guitar until I <laughs> are you you know so i play less and less all the time because i think people don't care so much about that as they do about me just getting up in front and singing the songs and relating you know what it's all about Mm. now did you play the guitar in any of the records or was that all wrecking crew or combination well in the beginning it was pretty much wrecking crew um who were the guys mike dacey was one i can remember um this Howard Roberts was there. There was another guitarist. So Glenn Campbell was in there. By the third album, uh, we played all the instruments because we were allowed finally to write all the songs. So, oh, okay. yeah, by then I was playing guitar more. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of exciting to do that. It wasn't a monkey situation where you had a fight against corporate uh, policy to get to play and write your own stuff, was it? Well, in a way it was. I mean, um, you know, I kind of saw myself as being that rock and roller and Jerry Fuller saw me as the balladeer. Right. He wanted me really to take on the whole thing without the band. He wanted me to just record Woman, Woman and move on, you know, but... I sort of thought, well, I'm going to need a band anyway. You know, I'm going to need a band to uh, go on the road, all that kind of stuff. And, of course, we had no idea that we would have the kind of success that we had. Um, If I were to do it over again, I would stick with people that gave me that success a little bit more and, uh, you know, try to ride it out a little bit further. But at any rate, yeah. So in the beginning, Jerry Fuller said, no, uh, we're going to do it this way. And pretty much it was to hire studio musicians um to bring in horn sections string sections etc now in the later album you had like personnel changes and people change roles was that uh 
just because people just got tired of the grind or whatever and moved on or uh, was politics or what was going on at that point? Well, there came a point where Carrie Chater and Gary Witham decided they didn't want to be on the road anymore and they mm -hmm. would rather live in LA with their families and they had been offered a, um, a decent, if not lucrative publishing deal with Irving Almo, which was the A&M Records publishing wing. Um, and so they opted out. So things changed, you know, we wanted to go on and do concerts and so forth. And that's when I decided we would put in a couple of horn players, uh, you know, that could cut it. Uh, the original Union Gap, we could play just about all the instruments, you know, uh, Kerry played, he started out playing left-handed bass, Rhodes bass and Rhodes piano. And then at some point just started playing bass guitar, but Gary Witham could play keyboards and he was a great sax player. The same with what be meant. He could play guitar. He could play drums. He could play bass. He could play guitar. Yeah. So we had two saxophones and could do that union gap sound, you know? So, yeah. um, but, but we, yes, we changed, we added four guys replace the two and once you change the recipe for the cake it changes the taste as well yeah <laughs> um and then eventually you know you kind of went uh that kind of went its own path i suppose and then you went solo was that a conscious effort on you or again was it politics were you pushed into it or was that a choice you know, honestly, I don't remember. I don't think I was pushed into it. I think it was something that was just sort of inevitable at that, <laughs> yeah. you know, because people saw things changing, you know, and unfortunately it didn't work out so well for me as a solo artist. I mean, I made some great recordings yeah. that I think yeah. that are very viable to the, the marketplace out there, but still um, things were changing and, uh, it was just something that happened. That's all I can say. Okay. Okay. And then I, I saw, I listened to a few interviews with you just so I wouldn't be just parroting every question, but I do have to ask this. In an earlier interview, it might've been a long time ago, you said that Woman, Woman was your favorite track. Is that still the case? Or are you like, no, I like a different one now? <laughs> well, no, Woman is still my favorite, I think, because okay. it's first child, you know, and there's something <laughs> about connection um there was something about the excitement of the very first time hearing your record on the radio you know it's not on a tape it's over the airwaves and you know you can remember the spot you were sitting and all those kinds of things plus i think it's a fantastic song it, the lyric is amazing to me it is something that we all have to deal with we all have to face it at some point in life you know you have eyes for somebody yeah, uh, they don't really reciprocate, you know, and uh, they're looking elsewhere and uh, it's heartbreaking, mm. you know, so um, I think that I think the song was very vital and Jerry Fuller was very wise in his thoughts that it was a hit record. He was able to make it one, you know, by turning it into a pop song rather than a country song. Mm -hmm. Now, I'll have to tell you, this shows my earlier ignorance not in recent times but a long time ago <laughs> before i could de determine who was who when i just hear things on the radio i actually thought that that song originally was a righteous brothers song so uh did you ever consciously try to sing like um 
the Righteous Brothers in any of your tracks, or are you try and just do your own thing? No, I've always sung like me, never, never <laughs> with intent. Um, I've admired people, you know, um, yeah. Bob Hatfield, at yeah. great admiration, um, and for Billy. Uh, you know, we became friends, and um, I've worked with them many, many times. In fact, I've sung with Bill on many occasions, and, yeah. and it, it was an honor, you know, mm -hmm. to step into the Bobby spot. Um, <laughs> I, I never tried to be Bobby. I just hoped that I could cover what he did, you know, well, and, and apparently it worked because I was kind of the foil to Bill's um you know hilarity or whatever it was you know so uh i always thought tom jones had one of the best voices i always thought that uh um johnny maestro had one of the best voices i mean there's a lot of great voices out there and, and mm -hmm. so many of them that i admire but no i just i've just always tried to be me that's all very cool and then after uh you did the first solo album I think you turned, it did some acting. I think you appeared on an episode of Alias Smith and Jones, if I read correctly. And then you kind of, <laughs> you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> Your acting? Well, there's not really much I remember about doing those shows. Um, there were a number of them that I actually got the opportunity to do. And I thought that I might, I might like to be an actor, but I, I, I didn't. Um, I think had I pursued uh, the stage, I might have done well there, but um, I studied acting with a guy by the name of Jeff Corey for a couple of years, and Jeff was the West Coast counterpart to uh, Lee Strasberg, hmm. who was the East Coast guy that worked with everybody on the East Coast. Jeff came up, he, he probably was 10 years my senior and he came up, uh, he, he was, I forget what they call it, top of the show or something like that, when he was an actor. And during the McCarthy era, where they were trying to find communism within our ranks, um, <laughs> they, you know, they jumped into Hollywood and... Um, senator or was he a congressman i forget which mccarthy you senator, know yeah. <laughs> you know saying hey well i want to know do you, do, were you guys talking about uh communism at this time at this party and all that jeff Corey was not one to rat on his friends he simply mm -hmm. said i'm going to tell you the truth about me and i'm not going to lie about my friends and so they blackballed him yeah and he was no longer able to get acting jobs so he turned his acting skills into uh, dramatic coaching skills and he worked with everybody from jack nicholson to marilyn monroe to you name it and mm -hmm. and he worked with them out on the west coast and i was just fortunate um i kind of had to audition for his class it was not easy to get into but um, he accepted me, and I did a lot of classwork with him and with other actors who went on to some successes. Um, and in fact, uh, through him, uh, I was called to do an audition for a film that was going to be made in the Philippine Islands called Dynamite, which was the story of a rock and roll band that was elevated to fame by the, by the death 
of their lead member. So it was kind of a challenge. I was thrown into the lead role, but it was the lead role was kind of subservient in a way to the actual character who everybody was. Well, at any rate, Sal Minio was up for the part as well. And, uh, so I dressed a little bit bizarrely and <laughs> went into the audition and read for the guy, and he decided to give me the part. And maybe it was because Sal wanted too much money or whatever. I, I'm not really sure, but I went to the Philippine Islands and I was there for um, going on six months making this movie. That never came out because you know, the family ran out of money and all kinds of stuff. But I had a marvelous um, experience, you know. I, we you, you suddenly got really muffled there. I don't know if you put something on the speaker or something there. Oh. There you go. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I was hanging on to the side of my... Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> you sounded fine until like a moment bottom. ago. So your last statement didn't get heard. So I, I don't know what you said after going to the Philippines doing dynamite. That was the last we heard. Oh, well, um, yeah. it was a great cultural uh, and film experience. Um worked with a group over there called the Juan de la Cruz Band, mm -hmm. who were sort of the power trio of the Philippine Islands. And, uh, and it was great, great sport. It was great fun. Um, spent a lot of time exploring. Um, spent half the time making a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun. Worked with some of the actors over there, and, and it was great. But anyway... It never got. It never came out. Um, I don't even know why I'm telling you about this. Probably something you asked me. <laughs> well, I just asked you about your acting career, and then, then my next question oh, yeah. is kind of bizarre: is that you kind of fell out of the picture for about almost ten years? I mean, was that by choice or just because of what was partly going by on? choice, and then then partly by exile? And uh, at least that's the way I look at it. Um, mm -hmm. As 1970 turned into 1971, things were changing in the music business. Um, if you can recall, you know, the, the choice of music was becoming disco. The choice of music was becoming, um, well, not English invasion, but glitter rock. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. You know, so things people had a different idea about where they were going. The 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 drug of choice was changing, you know, um, and and things things were just moving on. And I had decided at that time in 1971 to take a year off to write songs. I thought I'm just going to write a passel of songs with my brother and whoever else, and I'm going to come back, and everybody's going to say, Ah, Gary Puckett. Hey, wow, here he is. Let's go. <laughs> It turns out they couldn't give a hoot, you know, uh -huh. even though we wrote a lot of great songs, they had moved on and it was now uh, Captain Fantastic, you know, <laughs> but now Stevie Wonder, it was now a whole new musical generation. So I, I, I kind of did it to myself. Um, and so throughout the 70s, I continued to study acting. I continued to study dance. That was another experience that was good for me for stage. Uh, I studied a lot of tap, a lot of ballet. 
a lot of jazz. Mm -hmm. Not that I became a dancer, but <laughs> I, I danced in the higher levels of those classes. Wait, um, does Dancing with the Stars know this? How come they haven't knocked on your door? <laughs> Perfect, yeah. They, they don't know that. Um, I don't... <laughs> now they I, do. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe it's something I could do sometime, but no, they don't know about it. So, uh, <laughs> um, so what brought you eventually back to, well, let me ask you this. You mentioned those tapes. Is that what came out later as the lost tapes you had like uh, released later? Okay. Yeah. Um, we recorded those in, I think, 74 and 75, just on spec. Okay. Um, I basically produced it a friend of mine by the name of jimmy marino was the executive producer a fellow by the name of bill blue was the engineer and it was at a studio in san diego called um studio west and we just did them as catch can you know that kind of thing where we would uh, take the time and but i think we did some some really good work um i don't know if you've heard it or not I have not heard it. those, I hate to say, uh -huh. <laughs> but I was just doing that in my research, and I go, wow, he did record stuff later on. Um, oh, you disappeared. I don't know why. Uh, I can hear you still, so you can keep talking. Yeah, your camera went off, so <laughs> you can keep talking. I don't know why. Um, there you are. Hey. Um, so it, did this help in any way, or did it just happen because of nostalgia that you kind of eventually got back into singing and going on the happy together tours and things like that and the nostalgia and the reunions and all that or how did that happen well there came a point i was living in los angeles in the 70s and um you know studying at the roland dupre dance academy and studying with jeff corey and you know just trying to make sense out of life in a sense mm -hmm. um and there came a point where I just had to get out of L.A. I had to get back to San Diego and sort of back to, I don't know, my whole family lives in the San Diego area. My side of the family does. And I, I guess I just wanted to get out of what seemed a humongous rat race to me. Mm -hmm. um, even to this day, I try to steer clear of L.A. I don't really find it too I don't even know what the word is. Um, <laughs> it, it just, it's just overwhelming to me yes. anymore. Yeah. You know, it I'll truly is. And uh, so I went back to San Diego. I needed to get to work. I needed to have a job. I needed to be performing. I needed to. So I went to work in San Diego as a duo. I had a friend down in San Diego by the name of Paul Martin, just a great, great guitarist. And I played acoustic guitar and he played electric and, uh, we went to work as a duo in clubs in San Diego and we played everything from Bob Seeger to the Beatles to uh, Buddy Holly to Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. You know, we just played everything that we thought, I thought that people would like to hear me sing. Hmm. And uh, it just kind of progressed. And then this band came to me and said, we'd like you to be the front guy. And they were called SRO. Hmm. very good band in San Diego. And about that same time, I started to get calls from people out in the Midwest saying, you know, we've got radio stations out here that are uh, starting to play the music of the 60s. And uh, they're wondering where you are and what you're doing, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And uh, so there came a point when 
um, somebody said, well, I can put together some dates out here in the Midwest for you and let's see what happens, you know, so so they did and um it was a little bit disastrous but at the same time it kind of showed me that people were were willing and wanting to have me back on stage again you know and and uh, come and see me and all that kind of stuff so um i uh continued to work at it uh until uh we went back east we were working at a concert at the meadowlands i think and um uh, i can't remember who all the acts were could have been johnny and and some of the others uh you know the doo-wop groups oh it was uh richard nader uh, and so a guy came to me backstage and says my boss would like to talk with you and i said really who's your boss and uh, he said well he his name is uh, David Fishoff, and he works in the city. And so I said, well, all right, let's uh, make an appointment. Uh, he says, well, come on in tomorrow morning. You know, so I went and I met with David and with Howie Silverman, who is now uh, one of the owners of the, uh, the agency that I've been with for many years. And uh, they said, we'd like to work with you. And uh, we're working with the Turtles and we're working with the association and uh, all that stuff. And I said, well, that sounds like a good idea. You know, so I went back to California and um, I suggested to David that he put us all out on tour. Hmm. I don't know if they'll remember this exactly, but uh, <laughs> he and he and his office uh, decided it was a good idea. And they wanted to add a fourth group to that, which became uh, the Happy Together Tour with Spanky and our gang, Gary Puckett and Union Gap, the Association, and the Turtles. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, that's where it really kind of got rolling again, because we went out that, that year in 84. And I think we worked a good eight months together. We were all responsible for getting ourselves around from gig to gig and back home and whatever. Uh, but, uh, and nobody really knew how to do it. Uh, so they just said, Hey, we're going to book the gigs and you guys are going to show up. Wow. <laughs> we're going to do this. Yeah. So um, we did it. It was highly successful. So they put out another happy together in 85. And then, you know, the rest of that story, 84, 86 became the monkeys 20 year reunion tour because for two years straight, while we were doing the Happy Together tours, they were playing the Monkees 24-7 on MTV. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, now, we, actually, oh, we actually had a nice conversation with Spanky not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm yeah. glad. glad. She's, still, I've, she's still kicking. I've tried <laughs> to talk with her on a number of occasions, and somehow we just never connect. But I always loved Spanky, and she's such a great lady. So I hope that it was uh, good for her. Mm-hmm. Mark, now are we these, ready to ask him about the, the turtles uh, or not yet? Well, yeah, I am. But uh, I wanted to ask this first, which is kind of leading into it. Um, the groups that you worked with on these early Happy Together tours that you just mentioned, the Turtles Association, Spanky, um, did you work with them ever in the 60s or ever cross paths with them back then? Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I worked with the association in the sixties. I'm pretty sure that I worked with the grassroots, uh, back then. Um, 
I'm pretty sure that I worked with the Buckinghams, uh, Spanky and our gang. I don't think so. She was kind of, she and, and our gang were more considered, uh, they were hipper than we were, if you know what I mean. <laughs> they, they were along the lines of the mamas and the papas who I didn't yeah. work with till later, you know, because yeah. they were considered the drug bands as such, you know, mm -hmm. and I just say that sort of tongue in cheek, quote unquote, you know, yeah. but, um, um, Howard well, Kalen. Like, it was like Sonny and Cher. They never took drugs, according to Sonny's autobiography. Yet they had that hippie image. So I get it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah they did. And Howard Kalen, years years later, would say on stage in these uh, Happy Together tours, you know, we were a drug band back then, you know, <laughs> and we're a drug band now. But they'd bring up Lipitor and you know all the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that we have to take because of our health, you know, right. so. <laughs> and did you work with the turtles or encounter them back then in the sixties? You or? know, I don't think we did because they were, they were really definitely a different genre. They were more, you know, that hip, they, they would work with, uh, Oh gosh. Going up the country. Oh, can't heat. Can't heat. Yeah. Yeah. That kind <laughs> yeah, yeah. of thing. You know, so the turtles were, they were, they were just, once again, they were hipper than we were. We were that sort of, I don't know, clean cut, not hip, you know. Um, it's funny, you know, I mean, I still sort of feel like I don't fit in, but it, there was a time way back when that Chicago opened for us, that Creedence Clearwater opened for us, that people of that nature opened for us, but uh you know, things changed and um, that's just how life goes, you know, so, but I'm fortunate to have a gazillion fans out there that love the song, so. Yeah, I always kind of equate just because of how you look with the dress and the garb and everything, kind of like with yeah. Paul Revere and the Raiders, even though the music's different, the fact that you had the uniforms on kind of said, you know, this type of in some weird way, some sort of genre in itself, just by uniform, you know, I don't know, <laughs> but. Well, probably right. You know, I, I did that for a reason because yeah. I felt that having an arresting look, uh, whether it was arresting or not, you know, it, it made people <laughs> stop and go, what's that? You yeah. know, and I figured if I could make them stop and look at it, maybe they would stop and listen to it. And that's what happened with a disc jockey program director in Columbus, Ohio who was a Civil War historian. And he saw the photo on Woman, Woman, and mm -hmm. he said, fantastic, what's this record sound like? So he put it on his station, it went to number one, and that's when Columbia Records in Cleveland called me up and said, we're bringing you here, we're making a hit out of this. So it was, mm -hmm. I think, instrumental, you know, in the record becoming a success. So on the later Happy Together tours, you know, Charles was kind of leading into this and, you know, we're already talking about the Turtles. Uh, I guess any fun stories on the road during uh, those Happy Together tours uh, that you'd like to <laughs> disclose that are... <laughs> Smiling and laughing already. Look at that. <laughs> uh, there's probably worse or better things I could tell you about the Beach Boys, but... Uh, you can the tell turtles... some Beach Boys stories too, but... <laughs> <laughs> the, the Turtles to me were always... Um, what do I want to say? You know, they were always friendly. They were always uh, arms open to me as a 
as a performer, I think. And when I started running across them, they would say, Gary, hello, how are you? You know, but <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't really privy to the inside stuff. Um, uh, un until we started traveling together a little bit more. But even on the Happy Together 84, they traveled in their own vehicle. I traveled in my own vehicle. Um, you know, the, the fact that they, they might have uh, worn something around their neck that kept a little something that they could sniff, uh, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know if that's the kind of stuff we want to talk about, you know, because I don't want to blow their, uh, I don't want to be saying things out of school here is what yeah, I'm yeah. trying to say. You don't you have know. to. <laughs> Does the word blow an instrumental word in that sentence? <laughs> You know, the funny thing is about blow, it's glad you sniff blow, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's not, it's not too much of a secret. I mean, Howard put out his autobiography and, you know, he didn't really hold back. You know, he talked about, you know, the various orgies and the various drugs and the various everything that he went through in his life. So, you know, I don't think any little hints at <laughs> drug taking along the way <laughs> would be uh, inappropriate. But I, I guess for me, it's like I'm curious more about just fun times on the road or any sort of memorable experiences, not not necessarily drug related. <laughs> well, I've, I've always loved both those guys. You know, yeah. I've, I yeah. just think that they have been really iconic. And, and I, I know that they were playing a part throughout, but Howard's part in life was who Howard is. Mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense to you, it makes sense to me because Howard was always fairly acerbic. You know, he, he was unwilling to be the nice guy. Usually he wanted to, you know, let's get the autographs over, take the picture and get the, you know, what out of here kind of thing. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. how Howard was, you know, but I think that went along with his persona for the turtles and um, so many great, great songs. And what a great performance, uh, performer yeah. Howard was. I, I, I'm sad that he's not able to be back on these tours again, but I know that his health is, health is paramount to, to a happy life, you know? So uh, I don't, I haven't talked to Howard in a long time. I mean, to uh, Mark in a long time. And he's usually my, my connection to Howard's, you know, well-being. So, uh, um, you know, I witnessed a few things that were that were kind of cool, you know. But uh, you know, we used to stand back behind um, uh, Joey uh, Stefko on stage, and Joey would have a joints hanging out of his mouth, you know. <laughs> And he'd be getting stoned during the concert and all that kind of stuff. And I would just be standing back there going, man, this guy is a drummer. He had it in his hands. You know, he, he was one of those guys that you talk about being a great musician, you know, and I would just stand behind him, you know, where nobody could see me and just go, wow, this is incredible. And of course, you know, I suppose Howard would run off and, grab a little taste and then he'd run back and and what a great performer though and and i always loved uh uh mark because uh he's he always took care of his guys you know and uh what a great band they had later on i didn't know any of the original turtles okay. so i can't really uh give you much there okay and when, did when, you tour oh 
Yeah, I just wanted to throw in while we're talking about Turtles and Gary, uh, when, the, when the talk always comes out about the great 60s bands that aren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and, and you know, Gary Puckett's name comes up, the great voice, the great singles, the Turtles, the Monkees, what's your read on you not being in it and those guys not being in it? Well, it's funny. My feelings about awards, I think, are different than most people's feelings about awards people love people love to be awarded things you know they love to have oscars they love to have emmys they love to have gold records i've got a number of gold records and they are an indication of success and and i'm pleased with them i'm proud of them but um if they were you know put into storage tomorrow i wouldn't miss them if you know what i mean my take on the Hall of Fame is I, I, I don't know, it, it seems to change a little bit as time goes on. I have a good friend, um, Lori's and my good friend, his name is Eddie DeBartolo. And Eddie and his wife, Candy, um, they are iconic people in the, in the football business. He used to own the 49ers. Mm. And he took them to five Super Bowls mm. and has five rings, you know. And That's he's one I of the trees, huh? Uh, well, see, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, so and when you mention that name, I go, I know that name, and then that's why yeah. because I was watching the 49ers during all those Super Bowls. So yeah, okay, go ahead. Right. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. So, um, being from Cleveland, uh, Eddie is, um, you know, he's he's tuned in to the hall of fame and all that stuff. And, and um, he used to donate lots and lots of money. And one day he said to me, I stopped giving him money because every time I'd say, Hey, what about pocket? <laughs> they would, just, they would just pass, you know? So he says, I just stopped giving him money. So <laughs> it came from his mouth. I won't, uh, unless you ask him, I don't know the truth of that, but uh, yeah. He is a very wealthy man and, and is capable of doing that sort of thing. But uh, I would like to see a lot of people in the Hall of Fame. And I, I wish that politics weren't what they are. You know, you do this for me, I do that for you. That's, you know, that's just a, a given in the world of politics, no matter what business you're in. Um, things have changed over the years. Uh, um, I don't know. I suppose one day they just might consider putting me in the Hall of Fame. But if I never make it, it's not something that um, that I'm going to complain about. You know, uh, right. it, it, I, I, I think that, that the truth is in, the proof is in the pudding kind of thing. You know, when I, when I see a turtle song in a movie, I go, there you go. That deserves the <laughs> Hall of Fame. You right. know? Um, <laughs> What was what was it we were watching the other night? I think it was uh, the assassination of uh, uh, Gianni Versace, mm -hmm. and there's a turtle song in there. And I went, <laughs> "Yeah, Hall of Fame, you guys. What's taking that? Why? What are you doing? You know, come on." Yeah. So I don't but, know. I I don't really care about awards, but yeah. um, I think a lot of people should be in the Hall of Fame that that aren't. And Howard said the same thing in his autobiography. He said, there's just one word, politics. So that seems to yeah. be the recurring theme, yeah. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, 
do you have anything to say about some of the other bands you've toured with over the i mean i could it's a laundry list you i'll just kind of rattle them off and if you want to say something you can stop uh the classics four <laughs> well i knew um um dennis yost yes i i was just thinking about that and it, it just occurred to me that i knew dennis not well but we we were face to face we had a connection because he was a very good singer and I loved his records. Um, and I'm very good friends now with Tom Garrett, who has taken his place and is carrying on. Uh, in fact, Tom and, um, and Paul will be on the happy together this year. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I liked him a lot. And it reminds me of a time when a guy came to me in Houston. Um, and he said, hi, he looked me straight in the eye, held his hand out and said, hi, Dennis Yost. And, and I just looked at him and said, get the fuck out of here. You know, <laughs> you, you, you don't he says, you don't remember riding in, in a limo with me from uh, Philadelphia to, uh, I said, um, if I rode with Dennis Yost, it would have been Dennis, not you. So yeah. anyway, just the moment that I had in relation to him. So anyway, love Dennis and his records. How about the cow seals? Cow seals. I love they're 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 absolutely fantastic i personally know three of them now having traveled with them uh bob paul and of course susan yeah. um their story is tragic it should be yeah. viewed by many yeah. uh, but i'm i'm uh, very happy for them that there could not be a better opening act mm -hmm. for the happy together tour they go out there with enthusiasm every time they are entertaining they have great records god bless them Mm -hmm. And the Vogues? The Vogues, <laughs> I don't really have a lot to say about them because, <laughs> I mean, I worked with them a few times way back when, but they were more of an East Coast band, yeah. you know, and, and I, think, I think maybe it was, where was it, Constitution Hall or one of those places. I love the Vogues records, what yeah. can I say, yeah. Yeah. you know, so uh, um, I'm glad that they're uh, keeping it going. What, what's... Um, I'm sorry, but but I'm losing his name. Uh, the the son that's keeping it going. Oh, yeah, I don't even know that. I just am thinking five o'clock world. That's all I'm thinking. The song. I can't think of all the members. Um, if I was interviewing him, I'd be better prepared for that. <laughs> um, and then, of course, our friends, the monkeys. You know, uh, anything to say about Mike or Mickey or even Davy and Peter? You know, the monkeys to me were were um, were an issue. I would always say, guys. You don't seem to know the strength in numbers. I, I just wish you would drop your your uh, your difficulties for two months every summer. Just drop, get together, do what the monkeys do, travel the world, make a gazillion dollars, then flip each other the bird and move <laughs> on, you know, and then come back the next year, get together one more time, hug and kiss, make a gazillion dollars, make the fans happy. Um, but, um, you know, I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't help them because I was, I don't know. I felt like I was a friend. Peter and I traveled a lot, mm -hmm. you know, and I saw Peter's disturbance and didn't know how to approach it, you know, because there were times when I thought he just hated the fans, which I found amazing. But anyway, loved them. Uh, Davy and my wife were very good friends. Uh, she used to have a travel agency and did a lot of travel for him. 
and um, they became very good friends, not in the biblical sense, but um, they uh, were good friends, and, and um, I never knew Michael. Um, uh, <laughs> it's just funny to me. Mickey and I worked together many, many times, you know, being on the Happy Tour and all that, and Mickey was always... Um, Mickey was always uh, very nice to me, but between you and me, um, I, I, I always found Mickey to be a little disingenuous. I don't know why that is. Um, hold on a second. Hi, Petunia. What's up? Um, I need a Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I'll be done in a few minutes, okay? It's a It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Hold on. I'm going to show you guys. This is my this is my granddaughter. Hello, this is Petunia. Hi, Petunia. How are you? Say, say hi. Do you, do you know that your grandpa is one of the best singers that ever lived? Do you he know said, that? Yeah. Did you know he had hits with Young Girl and Over You and <laughs> This Girl's know, Woman Now and <laughs> Lady they, Willpower? <laughs> they know Lady Willpower is an absolute very favorite of hers. And her big brother, Brandon, here's something she just did for me. Hold it right there. <laughs> wow. That. Pretty Talent cool. Huh? In the family. That is beautiful, Petunia. Her name is actually Bentley, but my wife nicknamed her. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, young lady. Thank you. Okay, good. We're almost I'll done back. here. Yeah. That was, that, was, that was the highlight of the show right yes, there. Yes, I know. The Petunia show right here. <laughs> you can see right. want to. All right, go on. Yeah. What do you well, Yeah, I just had one more band to ask about and then we can kind of wrap it up and you can promote everything. But uh the association was the other one because you mentioned them a couple times and I know that they're, you know similar in a way to you you know the type of ballady type songs and stuff like that that you do well i love the association i mean i worked with those guys when they were the original seven members you know and uh and um i was always what are the words i want i was never one to be enthralled with an artist i didn't have i wasn't ever struck with anybody maybe with elvis but not with anybody else, but they were, they were the kind of group I could stand back and watch and just go, man, they are absolutely great. And, mm -hmm. you know, I just, uh, I loved each one of them for my own reasons. Um, um, Russ Jaguar, we always called him Cujo because one minute he would be smiling at you and the next minute he'd be, you know, ripping you a new one. <laughs> 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 um you know, uh, Terry was, he was a big teddy bear. And, and uh, so, yeah, I love the association. They were great. We can't, we can't talk happy together nowadays without also mentioning Ron Dante, right? Who's oh, that's, a big right. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Ron is a great, great talent. And, you know, I have to say that uh, if I could get the money together, I would have Ron produce a, an album on me because, you know, all the great producing he did with uh crying out loud um you know i it's just um you know we don't have it in our budget to spend that kind of money and i don't have a studio of my own but if i found the right people i'm still a great voice so um, I would, we're on. <laughs> all right um i don't have any more questions if charles doesn't uh you know the well, main thing go ahead aside from, yeah aside from seeing happy together uh are you doing solo shows as well uh, now that the pandemic is sort of disappearing 
we're starting to uh, July 2. We will be at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas. Um, we've got one day in the middle of July, uh, the um, uh, 20th, I forget, first maybe, um, up in Okaboji, um, Iowa, the association, as a matter of fact, and the Classics Four. And then we start um, on the 28th with the Happy Together Tour, which, of course, you probably know is the Cow Sills, uh, the Vogues, the Classics Four. Who else? You oh, and the Turtles. Yeah. Yeah. Radio. I think I missed somebody, but uh, oh, well, we got it all. <laughs> <laughs> and where and can we anything else you want to plug? You know, plug yeah, the Happy Together Tour. Where is that one going? Well, where can we see the tour dates? Where can we see yeah. you have a yeah. website? Um, I'll have them all posted on my website, which is GaryPucketMusic.com. Um, most of them are posted now, but um, I was told to wait on a few of them for whatever reasons the agents give me. Sometimes I just never know. Uh, but you can find them all there within the next week, probably. So everybody come on out and see the Happy Tour. We just love seeing you guys, and I'll be happy to be out there singing those songs again. Yay. All right. Well, if you have nothing else uh, to promote or plug, uh, yeah, go to, go to this man's website, GaryPuckett.com. Uh, Gary GaryPuckettMusic.com. Thank you for having yeah. a better ear. <laughs> you, you, can, you can find my Love Songs album there, which is, uh, which is pretty terrific. I recorded it years ago, but I, I did a bunch of love songs from the, from the 80s big hair rock groups, and um, it's really pretty well done. So uh, anyway... Come on, get one. I'll autograph it for you. They're the only CDs left in this world. You know, everything is downloads these days. <laughs> <laughs> Can't autograph a download, folks. So you got to get get a CD. That's All right. right. Well, I thank you, Gary, and I thank you, Charles, of course, uh, for being guests with me today on the Fun Ideas podcast. And uh, You're welcome. Say goodbye. You to me. And thank you as well. Thank you. Thank you again, as always. Yeah, you guys be blessed. Please. All right. And that wraps it up for another Fun Ideas podcast, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Gary Puckett and Charles Rosene, for being my special guests. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 122 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.